0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Unions 21 podcast with me Simon Sapper and
1: me Becky Wright the director of Unions 21
0: and you're very welcome thanks for joining us for this podcast and thanks too for the feedback we've been getting from from Chippenham through to California literally people have been uh, have been in touch to say that they've enjoyed the previous episode so that's great. In this episode, uh, our featured guest is going to be Kevin McGuire, associate editor of the the, uh, the Daily Mirror, and he's got he's really worth the listen. That, that, that interview, I can tell you. But it was as, good
1: fun to do. I have it to say, was he indeed, was really it, nice. It was indeed. It, listeners it, peeling behind the curtain, as it were. He was really lovely and bought us all a cup of tea.
0: So that the the, the, the mark of a true uh, <laughs> uh, of a true. Journalist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Two trade unionists. <laughs> Two trade unionists. That's for sure. But before we get to that, as usual, I'll round up of the weekly news. Um, it's been a really, really busy time. I mean, it's, sitting in front of me and Becky, is, and I'll just, you know, just. That, that is the 250 page industrial strategy published That's by really the government chilling. this week, which is really shiny, and really new, and uh, doesn't talk about trade unions. Uh, but, but amazingly, and I'm, this really is amazing, i am just, just get to the page. The Prime Minister, Theresa May, says... Um, says he uh, says, my belief is that, that a strong and strategic state that intervenes decisively wherever it can make a difference is a really important thing. I mean, Brown or Blair could have ri- written that. Yeah. Um, and therefore it's important. I mean, I think it is important that a Conservative government has introduced a, a comprehensive industrial strategy. Yeah. But... <laughs>
1: I feel like that was going to start with a but. And I also was trying hard not to start my uh, contribution today by laughing. Yet, however, I have um, done both of those things. So we were just at the end of finishing our Brexit paper. And it was about to go to print. And it talks about the Industrial Strategy paper not yet being released. And we're not entirely sure what it is that they're going to be saying. But here are some sort of broad outlines. And then the Industrial Strategy paper was released so we had to halt presses and go back and start looking through what it is and i'm going to start off with the positives because i think you've always got to try to find something positive in things and it is as you said simon it is good that we are talking about industrial strategy it is good that that is where the government is coming from
0: long overdue but but you know credit where it's due credit credit
1: where it's due in terms of To me, it's not rocket science. We need to to have industrial strategy. We need to think about industrial strategy and what that means. I'm still yet to go through all of the paper and other people have done so. And it's been very interesting to kind of get their takeaways. What I would say that the thing that really kind of struck me as I was reading it was it felt like a really specific idea of industrial strategy, it felt to me like we were yet again defining industrial strategy in manufacturing terms. And I'm not saying that this is talking about the manufacturing industry itself. But it felt very focused on technology and digital and very little talking about, for example, the care sector.
0: Or, or public services in generally. Public
1: services in general. Creative
0: sector barely gets a mention. It
1: gets a little bit of a mention about the Creative uh, Industries Council, which unions aren't automatically on. They have to lobby for a place on that. Uh, and if you think of the contribution that the creative industries has to the economy, I think not focusing on that was, is, was a shame. Well,
0: especially when the debate about education and resource and education means that... that creative industry-type courses in schools are, are under threat like never before. Yeah. So it's a, it's, uh, it's a, it is a it is glaring omission, I think.
1: Yeah. I, I, and if I go back to our changing world of work and we think about the types of jobs people are going to have and the types of jobs we need as an economy, we think about the economy as an hourglass. That paper, to me, really focused on the top part of the hourglass. That's a good hour, way of looking at it, hourglass. I think. It didn't talk about the retail sector. It didn't talk about the care sector. It didn't talk about the food and beverage sector. It barely mentioned pay and how that was going to be uh, delivered. It talked about skills. And there is some interesting thing in there about the technical routes and T levels and my kind of education geek hat came back on again. And actually, when I read it, I felt like this is again another piecemeal look at the education sector and how we're delivering skills for the twenty first century, as opposed to kind of an overarching vision about that. Um, but I could go into the failures of the Tomlinson report ad nauseum, and that was a long time ago. So maybe I better let it go. <laughs> different discussion times. Uh, at me go we'll wrap this one up. Well, but but I felt like it was it. It had the opportunity to really make a splash and to talk about two things. What is the what? is the industry in Britain going to look like in the 21st century and encompass all aspects of the world of work in that? And he didn't do it. Well,
0: I think that's right. I think look, it presents itself as a holistic view, but actually it isn't. It is that top half of the hourglass. And, and also there is what troubles me with so much of what the government does is where's the delivery mechanism? Yeah. Where are the means to actually put the ideas, and bold, visionary ideas in some cases, albeit limited, as we've discussed, where is it to, to put that into, into practice? And as Francis O'Brady said, where's the role for trade unions yeah. in, in this? You know, Six million members deliver the profitability and the wealth that keeps the wheels of industry in the rest of the country turning. There's got to be a collaborative partnership, solution-orientated approach to this, and yet that's kind of missing.
1: Yeah. And actually, the, the role of unions and really understanding an industry and thinking forward about what the industry is going to look like is completely underlooked in all of this. And it's completely underlooked, I think, in the narrative of the world of work in general. Unions have historically argued for the future of their uh, industries and what they should look like and thought about, you know, technology going forward and how it could impact on the world of work. There's no discussion on this. It. It kind of assumes a legitimacy on of employers groups and associations and federations, which I don't think is actually there anymore. People talk about the legitimacy of the trade union movement to talk on behalf of workers, but actually what's the legitimacy of employers' groups? Good point. And, you know, they're in decline. So that I found a little bit jarring. There was an awful lot of talk around how employers are going to work on this one, not a lot of talk about the people who are actually going to be delivering any of this. Um,
0: I think there's also a, a lack of joined-upness within the government's own terms because, for example, the Taylor report made specific reference of the industrial strategy. Yeah. And where, where is the delivery mechanism to deliver the good jobs and the good work that Taylor said so strongly was necessary
1: it kind of assumes uh so i did a fine function to look for words like pay and i got kind of six mentions of pay throughout the whole document and then when you look at the context of that word it's essentially almost like a well this should happen so if people are higher skilled therefore they'll be better paid And it kind of assumes that means it it kind of made the assumption that everybody in the world of work was going to be highly skilled, and therefore highly paid. It it was disconnected from the whole idea of what kind of jobs will we need in the future, and how is that going to work, and what are those mechanisms for people actually getting higher pay? Because as we know, there is a correlation uh, between the decline in trade unions, and the decline in collective bargaining and, and pay.
0: Indeed, but, but also without without being anti-aspirational, as it were, and as David Lammy articulates very power, powerfully, you should be able to be someone who works on the bins and still have a perfectly happy decent life Absolutely. with a reasonable stand- standard of living so the, you know, the, the breadth of the economy is should be encompassed in totality by an industrial strategy yeah. and,
1: but in that, you know, and that's the crux of it I think is that if you assume that the only way to a higher paid job is to do whatever is determined as high skilled and let's start with the whole idea of who determines what is a high skilled job mm-hmm. in the first place um, it, it kind of almost leaves everybody behind on that one and You know, I feel like there is value in the world of work and there is a a dignity in doing that and people should be able to feel like once they've finished work, they have provided for themselves and for their family and, you know, it kind of almost assumes, well, if you haven't got a degree, you won't get high pay. And that's, I don't know, there's something that doesn't feel quite right in all of that discussion. So it was... Good that we have started talking again about industrial strategy.
0: Shame it came out on the same day as the news of the royal wedding though. Is that just coincidence?
1: <laughs> my, my, my mum said to me, uh, you won't care about this, but Prince Harry's got engaged. I went, oh, funnily enough, mum, you won't care about this, but they've released the industrial <laughs> strategy paper.
0: I mean, I think what we can agree on is, is it's a start uh, and, and therefore the challenge is to to fill in the gaps and, and to make the good things that are there yeah. a reality.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we need to be thinking as a movement, how do we do that? How do we push for that? Where do we put our resources to do that? Do we think this is going to help kind of get us more power influence in our workplaces and in our industries, especially where we're not there?
0: Well, that that's a whole... You know, <laughs> <laughs> there
1: is a bit about sector deals.
0: Well, sector deals, I mean, the sector deals things are at the core of... of the next thing that I think we need to talk about, which is which is which is Brexit, yeah. and because the Brexit toolkit is all about encouraging two sides of industry to talk, to collaborate, to work out what the issues are about Brexit for their industrial sector and what they're going to do about them, and yeah. we've seen some initially good progress on that mm-hmm. in, in, in a number of sectors, and then. Along comes this whole David Davis not not disclosing everything he promised Parliament he'd disclose, and we, I kind of feel that we've we're been dragged backwards to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, for me, this is this, it kind of all works hand in hand, and I got to the point where I was reading the Industrial Strategy paper, kind of going, oh, sector skills councils, <laughs> weren't well, they actually a really good idea? Maybe we shouldn't have burnt them in the bonfire of the quangos, and we should have encouraged, not the trade union movement, when I say we, I kind of... as a collective nation nation, we should have done that uh and this is kind of where the the brexit stuff falls in on is that the (laughs) i always feel like he's come to uh do negotiations and he hasn't fully realized what it is that he needed to have in order to do the negotiations and so he's literally making it up on the back of a paper, including stuff around impact assessments, which are gonna be crucial for unions, crucial for um, employers and industry as a a whole to really think about what the impact of this is going to be on an industry and what we could do to mitigate for it. And to me, it seems like a complete lack of preparation and thought about who needs to be involved in the discussions. And as a kind of sidebar to this, uh the uh political thinking podcast with Nick Robinson had uh Francis on. I think the week we had Francis on as well, so we're obviously in very good company. And um he made the suggestion to her that Francis should have been one of the negotiators or part of the negotiating team. Well, of course she should have been. And I felt duh, yeah. Like, <laughs> why don't we have somebody who has negotiated her whole entire life who knows what it is who knows how you need to do it in the room and part of that would have been having impact assessments and understanding where the strengths and weaknesses lie in our economy so that we could kind of go in there and know kind of how we needed to play things and it also seems coupled in the discussions and looking at what they're doing is again they're focusing on just what business wants completely forgetting the fact that people work in those industries and will also need to be thinking about the impact it's going to have on them as well
0: well i mean that's that is the fundamental flaw the prime minister and her view and the government's view about about trade unions i mean sometimes you know she she kind of talks like macron and then goes and acts like trump i mean that's probably a bit unfair but 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 but, i mean but (laughs) you know it's it's just it's counterproductive in the extreme. There is this, w- there is this huge reservoir well of knowledge and a desire and an ability to really contribute to a successful or or, or to mitigate the the worst excesses of, of of a of a bad situation, a difficult a difficult situation. It's a national emergency, you could say. It's a certainly, all-consuming debate about, about about Brexit and that embraces an industrial strategy as well. Why are we not all pulling together? It's it's you know history will judge us very cruelly, I think, mm-hmm. uh, because. We can't afford a partisan approach on on this. Mm.
1: Yes. So should we talk uh, about should, some good news? Yes, we you, have. You,
0: you've been to a very snazzly titled event this week called "Time to Shine," hosted by the Communication Workers Union for for I think young activists from a range of yeah uh, of different unions. I saw a wonderful tweet a wonderful tweet that quoted Chris Webb, the head of comms. Uh, and someone who's appeared on our podcast before uh, about time to shine about young workers, young workers, he said should be the conscious of a union. They need to be a pain in the ass. Quite right, Chris. I, I agree <laughs> with you entirely. But, 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 I mean, you, you, you were in the room at the oh, well, at the yeah. GFTU's fantastic uh, centre in Leicestershire. I think. Yeah. So
1: actually, I have to say that was the first time I had been to Corn Grange. I've been to numerous. Union venues in my life, and as we were pulling up into the driveway, because I didn't know where we were going, I was, was actually really praying that the taxi driver had taken me into the right place and not somewhere to kill me. And maybe think, actually, do you know what would be really great as a union movement if we had venues which weren't completely off the beaten track? That would be really nice, it would leave my sense of dread. I'm looking at you, Stoke Rochford. Um, it was lovely to be invited, so basically, uh the CW had organised a you know, mini kind of conference, training session, get together for young activists uh, within the trade union movement in memory of Roger Paul. Yes. yes. Um, and uh, there's quite a lot of information I think out there about Roger and his life. But the uh, I was asked to come and kickstart the couple of days off by talking about the changing world of work young people within that and what unions could start thinking about. So obviously I was delighted because I went to the CW, I could use my Postman Pat uh, analogy about the changing world of work. Um, And it was really interesting to hear Dave Ward talk about his views on the future of the trade union movement and where we can go and kind of his general uh, humility, I would say, to some extent about um, the role of young people and kind of helping to... Determine where we were going to go forward because, uh, to use a Tim Roach expression, you know, young activists are present, not just our future. Absolutely, I like that line a lot. I'm going to try and nab it. And um, but it was just really interesting see how they viewed um, their unions' views on the fourth revolution and on automation, on the gig economy where they felt they were in terms of uh, security and understanding about the trade union movement. And it was just really nice to see a diverse group of union activists talking through all of those issues and having some ideas. And it was really lovely to be asked, and thank you very much to the CW for that.
0: Well, I always think one of the... Great things about working with young activists, young trade unionists, is is two. Especially from a a wide range of of unions or industrial sectors, is two things. First, first of all, seeing them realise that they've got much more in common with each other than than their industrial backgrounds would would suggest, and secondly, the energy and the enthusiasm is absolutely infectious. But I do think the trick uh, or the, the the key issue about working with young young activists is. Think about them all the time. Don't just think about them when you're standing in front of them or, or you're or you're you're with them, but think about how you kind of youth proof your structures and, and, and what you do. Hey ho. So,
1: yeah, there was so, one other thing. Go on. Yeah,
0: yeah, we were talking about this. This is this is we, we switch here from 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 union uh, analysis now to TV reviewing. <laughs> Becky,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love TV. Me. Um, I, 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 sidebar, I generally do love watching television. And uh, somebody um, recommended to me a TV programme called Good Girls Revolt. That it's just one series. It got cancelled after that. Uh, but the makers and the actors in it are heavily campaigning to bring it back. Because here is the premise, people. It's based on, but you know, drawing heavily on, I suppose, it, it should be. The experiences of a group of women working for uh, Newsweek in the late '60s in New York, um, but in this show, it's called News of the Week, and it kind of looks at the the these women struggle for uh, to, to be able to write for the magazine because in that particular work environment, the men are the journalists and the women are the researchers even though, as you see throughout the series, they are writing and doing the hard graft and actually giving some of the writers the ideas and putting together things. The reason I recommend it is because it's 10 episodes, so it's, you know, an hour, so it's digestible. (laughs) Uh, But it just explores, I think, the everyday experience of women through lots of different classes, predominantly kind of middle class but there is some class disparity or difference I suppose and it is fairly inclusive and there is some intersectionality in terms of their people, these women's experiences of the world of work and there is a heavy theme throughout that of the the kind of sexual harassment that the women face throughout their working and it kind of goes from the kind of low level everyday stuff that you know, women have kind of been taught to sort of brush off and not really consider through to kind of more murkier uh, exploitation and kind of um, displays of harassment in the way in which the privilege of the kind of uh, editors, they wouldn't even realise they were doing it.
0: Well, this, this sounds to me a bit like, kind of a bit like madmen, but... In Mad Men, the dominant characters are all men and in this one, the dominant characters are women and one gets commissioned and recommissioned and recommissioned and the other gets cancelled after one series. Am I am I reading too much into this? <laughs> Do you know It's
1: funny. I actually was talking to a friend about that and said, I can't help but feel that if we had Don Dra- Draper, uh, this series wouldn't have been mm. cancelled because it's very interesting to watch. Uh, it's engaging and it just explores those power dynamics and interestingly the women don't form a union but they do they wouldn't see it as a union but nevertheless but nevertheless acting collectively they act collectively and there is a whole you know the organizer in me was gleeful in how they went around and got the other women to join into their complaint and how they did it and what they were doing and how they were talking well, about it. That it was sounds really like great.
0: It's well worth, well worth hunting down. And lots of echoes from that period to today. And, yes, and quite. What a link into
2: <laughs>
0: into our featured guest on this this episode. Um, sorry, things just falling off the table there. Uh, Kevin Maguire. Uh, and this is the interview Becky and I recorded with him uh, and the shadow of the tower that's got Big Ben in it, clad in scaffolding, yeah. uh, just recently. We are sat currently in the Burma Road of the Press gallery at the House of Commons with the legendary Kevin McGuire, associate editor of the Daily Mirror. Yeah, hi. Hello. Thanks for doing this podcast with us, Kevin. And, and seriously, thank you for the work that you do and continue to do to make sure the stories of working men and women actually receive anything like the, the coverage that they that they need. Um, we're also sat right by the uh, by the tower that's got Big Ben in it. Yeah. So I'm kind of I'm kind of quite pleased it's switched off at the moment.
1: Yeah, all I, I, I can see is scaffolding, but it's pretty cool. I think uh, Kevin has a pretty good view out of his office. Actually,
2: yeah, there's been a row about the company doing it because they uh, were uh, blacklisting at one time. Oh. Really? <laughs> yeah, there we are. They kept the contract though.
0: Well, um, cool. hopefully, they're, hopefully they're not doing that anymore. I'm sure. Feel sure if they were, we'd find out. About it. Oh, we'll
1: have to ask the uh, parliamentary side uh, chair.
0: Ken. Yeah, we'll find out about that, yeah. won't we? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, what, I mean, one of the things that we want to concentrate on in this, in this conversation is, is the challenges, the problems that unions have about getting their stories in the news. Is it, I mean, I suppose there's no magic bullet, but, but generally, is there anything we can do to get more coverage, to get more, more sympathy?
2: I, th- I think it's a lot better from the unions than it, it used to be. Um, I've got the grey hair to, to go back to the late 1980s, Uh, when I started uh, covering the world of work, uh, trade unions, and back then there were many unions who just didn't want to talk to journalists at at all. They regarded them often, for good reason, as utterly hostile, And no matter what they would say. If Mm. they were working for the Sun Express, Daily Mail, they would be negative, so they just tried to freeze out most people. Unions have come uh, an incredible way since then, and are far more sophisticated, better clued up. Also the, the rise of the, the web and social media mm. now allows unions to communicate directly both with their, their members, potential members and get their messages across to the media and the wider public without going through the prism of a newspaper or a radio station, TV TV channel. So they are a much a much better. Of course they could always be sharper. some unions are better than, uh, than others. Uh, you see some will be very fast to the point, uh, you know what they're, uh, they're saying, what it's all about, and others can be far more more ponderous and sometimes that's just organisational bureaucratic reasons and uh, you know, if anyone who listens to the radio, watches TV will think some trading leaders are better communicators than others and mm. some general secretaries you think they're good and others you think, oh God, that's a gibber, an idiot who will have just turned everybody off. Nervous. <laughs> yeah, ner- nervous, well, no, your nervous. You want names, do you? Names of the gibbering idiots. No, definitely
1: none of the Union's Twenty One supporters. She says. No, <laughs> but,
0: but nevertheless, though, nevertheless, even though, even though the death of the news media, or the death of print, has been has been predicted on many, many. Well, many I think it's well overstated. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, I mean, it, there is there is a huge lift-off, a huge multiplier effect if if news stories are picked up yeah. by by one of the, the national news media. Uh, Uh, massive, massive. And and therefore that that premium, that dividend, if you like, is something that unions anxiously seek.
2: Yeah, the the mainstream media, as it's kind uh, kind of called the uh, MSM, still sparks so much uh, of debate that you get on social media anyway, whether you're on Facebook, Instagram or or Twitter. It's often a reaction to what's been reported. So it's hugely, hugely uh, significant. And Mm. so many people still, primary sources, listen to radio or TV by paper. Paper sales aren't what they were. They've declined a bit like trade union membership. But nevertheless, it is still incredibly significant. Just like trade union membership. Uh, well, it is. No, abso- no absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, trade unions will, will still be the largest voluntary organisations in the country people pay money yeah. to be members of. Yeah. Massive influence uh, it, it, on, uh, on working lives, economy, politics and so on. But... They're not strong they haven't got the members as they, as they once were. Yeah. Alas! Uh, let's, let's hope that can be turned round. Although it's very very difficult now with the atomisation of the economy and yeah. a lot of smaller employers as you know in unions to anyone and then the hostility of the, of the government. But no, trade unions still put a lot of effort into getting their stories on the telly, get it on the radio, get it in a paper because they will find their members, potential members, yeah. me- no, members, members of the natural public. Natural <laughs> members of the public. So, so it's massive. And, and they are pretty good. If I, if I ring up, uh, you normally get an answer because I find the trade union, whatever you're writing about, if it's in the world of work, they will know more than you. Yeah. They will know more than just about anybody uh, except those who work in that, that industry. And I listen to people uh, being interviewed on, uh, on, uh, on the radio and it, you know, it might be Mick Whelan at left, might be Matt Rack at the FBU, it could be uh, Tim Roach, Dave Prenters, Dave Ward, Len McCluskey, whoever it is. If there's a dispute and an issue... They always know more than the interviewer. I can tell where the interviewer will will often go, Mm. but they just don't know as much. And trade Mm. unions and general secretaries and officials, tend to be pretty open and much better than uh, the the other side, the company bosses Mm. who come on and are worried about shareholders and investors, speculators and their bonuses. As they're uh, rather rather negative, you know. Trade unions themselves are pretty negative organisations in the sense you're often de- defending what yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, ne- yeah. but nevertheless, I, th- I think I think the current crop of general secretaries are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, tribunes of trade unionism, and of course, Frances O'Grady herself at the at the TUC is just yeah, kind of, yeah. just kind of fantastic. And one of the huge errors of uh, the, the Brexit uh, campaign, the referendum campaign, was she hasn't wasn't actually used more.
1: No, my mum loved. My mum loved Francis on the uh, on on the Brexit campaign. She yeah. uh, anybody who's been taught by me over the past kind of five seven years will always know I invoke my mum because she's the normal person yeah. in my life who doesn't vote, is not interested in politics, but always has an opinion yeah. on absolutely everything. And she two two things kind of happened. She was like, "I love that Francis O'Grady, yeah. isn't she lovely? Doesn't she come across it's me common sense? The she talks common sense. She
2: talks joined up common sense, and I." That because we're, we're all using many people who listen to your podcast will just be used to Frances and know Frances and know her strength and her charm and how yeah. engaging and compelling she is, we which, which kind of take it for granted. And I, like yeah. your ma'am, people were saying to me after that debate, course uh, oh, where have been hiding her? She's yeah. very good. I thought, what hiding her? She's yeah. been everywhere. <laughs> are they, are they, are they, but during that during that referendum, which was still a crushing, narrow defeat, it was just so much of a an establishment argument on the right of British politics yeah, yeah. between, on the one hand, Farage and Johnson and Gove and then, on the other, Cameron and Osborne. And everybody else was struggling to get a, get a, get a, get a shout. And Stronger In was just awful, that campaign. I went to the launch, and, it, and the launch was all establishment. Uh, it was all uh, people running companies. And I was thinking, where is the, where is the worker from the West Midlands in manufacturing? Where is somebody from, from Yorkshire yeah. in the service economy? Somebody who could speak yeah. for for working people. And they, they weren't there. And it, yeah. it's unions give working people a voice. That yeah. voice would not be heard without uh, trade unions.
1: And actually, uh, this is something that's really interesting in terms of, we're doing some work with unions at the moment around Brexit and the skills gap. That's yep. going to appear and kind of basically trying to say, well, what are we going to do in yep. these industries because we're not. You can't just replace them easily. A, a midwife is not. You, you can't just no. kind of advertise and anybody just rock up and deliver a baby. You yeah. need to train them. And the RCM are saying that they've gone from something like forty midwives uh, pre Brexit coming into the re- into the in, uh, from outside the EU or from each inside the EU each down month. each month yeah. to two. Mm. And that's even before we've got Brexit. Uh, and yet, we've still not got, I think, a, a really a, a compelling way to talk about that so much. Whenever I hear about Brexit, even still now, it's always about, well, business wants to have a say in what goes on. And we've sort of been trying to say no. Well, no. I think you'll find that there is a significant other voice yeah. when it comes to Brexit, and that's going to be people who are doing work and well, working on well, that. trade
2: unions exist uh, through industrial organisation and politics to take control of business for the for the interests of, of working people, whether yeah. whether they're a cleaner or mm. you know, a physiotherapist or, or somebody working in a bit a big commercial company. Mm. So that's what But you, you're right; they get squeezed out. But it is. Yeah, the unions were written off a bit. overwritten written off after those big disputes, the P and O dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember in Dover in eighty uh, eight. Whopping before that, of yeah. course, the miners' strike eighty four eighty five. It just went. It was almost an avalanche view of unions. They're up there at the top, yeah. and then all and then of a sudden they're worry. at the bottom, and you could just ignore them.
0: Except it's, it's not. It's almost like there's there's the subject, and the, and there's the message, and then there's the messenger as well. Yeah, and, and, and part of The way Francis, for example, can 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 engage is because she's different, but she's speaking to a big constituency and I almost kind of think that, that perhaps we need, almost need Britain's got talent for you if you like X to get to, to, <laughs> <X, X, laughs> Strictly, Dear
2: Simon
0: uh, Cowell could uh, you come and no, no please no, 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 that's, no, that's
1: no, just no, Simon just wants to sit on a table and just kind of put X's actually than, it's strictly yeah. come
2: organising I, I could now <laughs> see it. we could be like <laughs> just yeah. sitting there as the judges yeah that's a very good approach in that <laughs> workplace uh, yeah they've signed them up there we are they're dancing off now to the membership form it's like direct debit the lot Take the ball. Every, everybody's everybody's
1: laughing, that. but now I genuinely am thinking about whether we can incorporate that into our conference next year. Oh yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> definitely. It's got, to, it's got to be an idea. Where, an idea. Where but we're but I mean,
2: you're right, though, about the it's, it's all those bits. And I often, I often think, and it, this happens in politics, and it it, it happened with poor Ed Miliband uh, where it, it wasn't red Ed that hurt him; it was odd and if you think the messenger's a bit strange for whatever reason, whether it's personal mm, mm, or, mm. or political, you don't listen to the message. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it happens all the time. You don't sadly. trust the
1: message. No, you don't
2: trust the messenger. You're not going to yeah. trust the message. And, and opinions get
0: formed so quickly, of course. Uh, some, uh, there's, a, there's a young group of uh, uh, people in South East London who form their own news channel, wonderful stuff, uh, and and, and they work on the basis they've got to grab someone in six seconds or actually
2: the the window closes. First impressions, isn't it? They are absolutely, uh, you know, it can be wrong, but they're very important and we all make them. Before we get too gloomy, um, what
0: what do you feel are the next kind of big issues that are coming up? Are, Are we really engaged in a struggle to change the narrative above all else or are there subject specific areas or is it a mixture of both? Where, where do we need to be looking?
2: It's, it's, the narrative has been changed to some extent against uh, against austerity, mm. against uh, freezing public sector pay or increases that were always below the rate of inflation, so wages were squeezed year on year. The narrative has been turned back to nationalisation in, in mm. some cases, it's public ownership, it's been turned back to building council houses. The fetish about reducing borrowing and uh, the national debt which the Tories have and have com- completely failed to do what they, what they promised with debt likely to now rise until the end of the next decade is supposed to be stopped rising in 2015. So the narrative has been changed to some extent. But unions, are they still, do people go to work and think I must join a, a trade union? No, they don't. Mm. It's still, most people who don't join always say, well, no one asked me. Yeah. You know, which I, I think is a, a convenient excuse in some part. I quite like the idea you go to work and you want to seek out people. You find out where the water cooler is in the toilet, and you know what the boss is expecting. But why can't you find out where all your, your colleagues are uh, you know, banding together in, in, in support and solidarity, and often professional pride, Scotty said. Uh, but nevertheless, I think unions, unions still haven't cracked how to organise properly. Uh, mm. although, n- otherwise, numbers will be soaring. Because the workforce is now at 32 million. yeah, yeah. 28 million of them are uh, uh, indigenous-born, uh, British-born. Um, t- 2.4 from the rest of the EU, 1.2 from outside the rest of the world. And yet union density is, is gone down. And even in the public sector, where you have recognition, you will find local authorities, for instance, where the, the density can, can be below 50%. Yeah, yes. yeah and
1: we lost... Two hundred nine thousand public sector union members last year. Two
2: hundred nine thousand—that's people made redundant, shrinking of the public sector. And then if it's small businesses that are growing, yeah. it's harder. It is harder to recruit. But if you work in a small business, you sometimes need that support of a trade union even more than you would in a big workplace.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think as well, from experience of organising in those kind of workplaces, is it is more labour. Intensive to know those areas and to know where you're kind of going into. I often find whenever I pick up a a comment piece about unions, mm. it's often to tell us how rubbish we are.
2: Yeah, and well, how we
1: should always change. Yeah, and I understand that because I do. I do think there's an element like everything like we kind of have to change. But some, I mean, obviously it's a it's an easy piece to write and it's a good piece to write. To some extent, like, it'll get you bylines and things, it, it goes yeah. in, but I often think it's not the whole whole story, whereas if you've actually kind of, you know, gone out there, I mean, I've tried to organise travel agency workers in a non-unionised yeah. industry, and it's just bloody hard uh, Well,
2: work. yeah, we some of us have the quip in in the media of, you know, bad news is good news, yeah, and yeah. good news is no news. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think, I think the... The view, the view of unions, certainly in, in newspapers, we have, a, we have a right-wing Tory press in, in Britain. Ken Clark describes it, a former conservative government yeah, yeah. he describes it as such. And they're pretty hostile to trade unions, so they almost always look for the worst uh, worst side. And that's a, a, that's a function of ownership, and yeah. that these companies are owned by very rich men by and large, or speculators who invest and they see trade unions as on the other side in, in terms of uh, their own employee relations. You see, you see that at the Mail, you see it at the Sun. Uh, the Times, which is a very anti-trade union paper. I think the two papers that are most anti-trade union are the Times and the Sunday Times. Quite why that is, whether it's a hangover from what we're, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure, but they're worse than the Mail often. If you, if you read it in mm. the little stories they pick up, but they're all, you know, they're all hostile. It's very hard for unions to overcome that. You can try not to make the mistakes, uh, you can score some victories, and you can trump them, uh, trumpet them, not trump them, uh, and you can you can try and rub off a few rough edges, but it's very hard. And it's, it's almost
0: like it's almost like um, I don't know, Sunderland get Arsenal in the uh, in, in the third round of the cup. You know, Sunderland may put ten men behind the ball and hope for a goal on the break. It's, yeah. that, it's kind of that.
2: I think we did a few seasons ago when I was there and we lost 4-0. I was going to say, but against, mighty,
1: <laughs> but against the mighty Arsenal always. I, I, I know. Too. Well, I
2: think the mighty Arsenal are only mighty <coughs> against poor teams like Sunderland. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's, another, uh, yeah, that's another argument, really. That's, that's
1: what, on Simon's other podcast which yeah, yeah. he's yet to
2: do. <laughs> but, it, but it is... You know, t- I don't want to sound like I'm in W1A, the, uh, the spoof on, uh, on on the BBC, about the BBC, about doing you know, uh, less of more and more of less, but it is, there's, there's no magic solution, but it is yeah. to do what unions have always done, yeah. and just to try and do it better.
0: Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the campaign that my old union, the CW, ran on dangerous yeah. where which was a fantastic campaign in terms of building a grand coalition, including the public good political support, in the end it, it resulted in changes in the way dangerous dogs are regulated or, or or legislated for. And we did a pretty good job of getting getting the credit for it in the in the media, but nowhere like to the extent that, that our involvement justified.
2: Yeah, well, success has many parents, and uh, failure would have been yours. So <laughs> well, you sure. will always find that, that. if there's something it's good, specific. yeah, they people will will come. In. I remember a, a much earlier CWU uh, dispute back in the it was back we we're back in the '90s, uh, and it was about a whole load of things at the workplace. I remember Chris Proctor used to work UD, for you, yes. and there was just so many bits no one could but quite get across what the dispute was about and I said well look you if posties are working 6 days so you want five day working and just get on with that so so the union yeah. did unfortunately that was conceded immediately <laughs> and it was all this. Sort of other bits were other bits that were far more f- fundamental to posties that uh, that weren't and,
0: and obviously I mean if you look at the I mean I was close to this, so uh, I may be talking out of turn, but if you look at the, the long-running dispute on Southern Railway, yep. uh, with, 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 with the railway unions, there was all, you know, just as a seasoned observer, you know, you know that there's a whole bundle of issues out there. Yeah. There's a huge deterioration in the, in the, in the relationship at work. It's not just about the headline issue. Uh, and that, of course, is it's extremely difficult to package up in a news-friendly way.
2: It, it is, I and mean, it's complicated. But there are big legal issues about unions taking uh, action that seem to be in, in, in concert. And uh, Aslef have spent an absolute fortune in uh, mm-hmm. in, in legal fees trying to uh, fight off. Uh, I mean, quite appalling uh, bids from uh, from Southern Steel, including almost having uh, having strikes just banned because they would contravene free movement uh, around Europe. But, um, you know, but those strikes, despite you know, the disruption uh, caused, and come on, which of us haven't, when you've had the impact of industrial action as a consumer, mm. uh, not cursed slightly, then you think, oh, well, I can see why they're doing that, but you're still inconvenienced. <laughs> All the way through, yeah. the, the unions kept the public on their their side because the travelling public knew that those services were... Uh, yeah crap
1: yeah, yeah, even yeah when yeah, everybody
2: was working and yeah. you know you think well if the if, the, if that company is doing that to me as a tr- passenger I can see what they're doing to yeah. the people they employ and
1: it's funnily enough because I I am um, was asked to go on the a Victoria Derbyshire program to talk about it and that the women the other women who were on the panel because they were other mainly women who were commuters all of them even the one who was, oh, they oh I really blame the union for this, all said, yeah, but Southern Rail is rubbish and we kind of understand why they're doing yeah. it. And that to me was kind of one of those different things, was that even if, like, the person who was hostile and was kind of what well, the yeah. most hostile they could get was saying, well, actually, yeah, the service is rubbish. Uh, so, they you know, Southern Rail can't go back on that and say, yeah, we have a great, a great service. Everybody actually was just sort of saying, Oh yeah. Well, actually, yeah, we can we can agree because the service is rubbish, and we do want somebody with us, and we do want safety. And and it, it made me the thing that that struck me was the Tory MP that was asked to kind of be my adversary, I suppose. Um, he kept saying, well, you know, the union should come back round the table. And I was like, well, where's the employer? Why aren't yeah. we talking to the employer about how seems, they got to that point as well? Well, I did. Yeah. I, said, yeah. I did say to him, and he looked a bit sheepish, because I said it's in a relationship. That is not how you work, and you know that. Um, and, and there's a little part of me that became like my mum where I was going to start haranguing him about asking why is that how you work in your relationship then you just tell people what to do all the time there's a little part of my brain that went Becky probably not on national television there
2: was a a presumption and it's absolutely wrong that strikes are are unpopular always unpopular it's just not the case case. I I remember I remember the ambulance dispute going back to 89 90 Mm -hmm. and five uh, unions came came together and the public was on the uh, side of the ambulance crews who Went through what they did, how much they got, how oh, little they got paid. Yeah. There was also real strikes in '89. I think it was six one-day strikes. Not train moved on those days. Again, the public was on the side of, of the of the workers because they were Be experienced. Like the, do-
1: yeah. bit like the doctors.
2: Oh, I, I mean, I really I, mean. I
1: have to say, my I mean, my uh, my partner's a, a, a doctor, and he went from well, <laughs> disclosure time. Disclosure yeah, yeah. time. Everybody yeah. knows me yeah. knows this because I I often laugh about it. But like he went. I know as a as a consultant from Oh, they, they can't take action because what's going to happen to the patients? All the way through to, just as it was about to start being malated to, yeah, take action, do it, 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 do it. And I went, how did you make that journey from... But actually, I have to say, the BMA internally did some really good comms with their the, members They, to they get did. Them the, the
2: people they had on TV and radio were oh, yeah. tip-top.
1: Yeah, they were. Uh, they really knew good. what they were
2: talking about, they came across well, and they were concerned. It wasn't, like, I don't care about uh, patients, what happens. Uh, they're yeah. working there day in, day out, treating patients. They want more staff, they want, they want to treat more people, yeah, but yeah. they get pushed yeah. to a breaking point. Yeah, it yeah. ended messily,
1: yeah.
2: uh, if, you, if you recall that dispute. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it
0: fizzled, I mean, didn't in, it? it? Well, sort of. But, but, but the level of anger that yeah. led to the adoption of such, a, you know, such a, an yeah. assertive position by. By, by the junior doctors. Yeah, that was a, a, an yeah. indication of how bad things got. And the spokespersons, of course, that they fielded were, were, were young, they were diverse, they were... All articulate. 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 But
1: they were all doctors. And they were all doctors. They were all people so, doing the job as well. you as like well. doctors
2: by and Everybody large. A, yeah. But you in But a, in a dispute like that, you've got to, you've got to communicate effectively to the, the public. You've got to yeah. tell them why you're doing it, you know, what your position is. Uh, you've got to regret the inconvenience. Now, of course, if you go on strike, the truth is you've got to cause some inconvenience for somebody. Yeah, if yeah. you can just cause it for the employer, all the better, but if the employer's delivering a service and you're not there, of course there's going to be an impact. And you have to. You have to. So, so you regret that. It's, it's always always going to be an issue, but you've got, to, you've got to say, look, I'm sorry for that inconvenience, but we've been driven to do this because of ABC.
0: In terms, of, in terms, of, in terms of what the landscape looks like from a journalistic point of view, Kevin. I mean, you know, I come from a from a from a generation where I would read stories by Alan Jones and Christine Buckley and the industrial correspondents, i and Christine, of course, still, mm. still 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 active. But there are very few industrial correspondents now, and and, and those yeah. that look at industrial matters seem to have a wider picture, like your, your, yourself, Paul Mason, or John Harris, yeah. or, or, or or whatever. Who who are the who are the people that we might not have heard of that you that, that
2: yeah you is
0: as, as, as protecting the journalistic heritage into the future. Yeah, Conrad
2: Landon is very good on The Morning Star, and he also writes for the London Review of Books and uh, sometimes the new statesman. he's He is very good. Uh, but Alan Jones, in the kind of uh, is is the last of a dying breed, really mm-hmm. at the press association, yeah. real veteran of it. Uh, you know, there's no trade union number uh, uh, that isn't in his contacts book. You know, that yeah. would be worth worth having. But it is. It's now often you get sort of general reporters, political reporters, and they will they will just do it as they go along. You know, Owen Jones is very good doing his uh, his blogs yeah. and his vlogs, whatever they are. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. Yeah. print man. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I've heard of them somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Blogs, vlogs,
1: <laughs> pods, whatever. Things. But yeah, it was, yeah uh, things. But it was funny because as we were, we were coming in, I was saying that, you know, like in my entry or understanding of the trade union movement coming from a, a working class family in the London South East who weren't union members, because they were all like builders, They yeah. weren't political, but everybody obviously had an opinion. The, the first thing I ever knew about the trade union movement was watching Congress. Uh, on BBC Two, and that's how I don't know. I must have been off school in order for that to happen. And being but... punished. <laughs> <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I think, was I, think my, I was. think with my grand. I used to live with my grandparents. I think I was. She was like, you know, watching it, and I just like sat down and started. And and I remember then, you know, oh, that's the that's the season you'd get congress and yep. you'd get all the political things and we don't have that anymore it's not part of that kind of uh, fabric and that's one of the things I was saying Like, h- um, how do we get that kind of awareness and if we don't have a, a big sea of industrial reporters yeah. anymore and we're not supporting it then how No and
2: it's not quite the same as the, the TUC or f- for instance the GMB streaming, mm. yeah, so you can go and get yeah, it if you want yeah. but you're not getting it on your, on your TV, you've got to go out and search uh, for it. Yeah, you've
1: got to know uh, that it's there. Yeah,
2: there, there is an argument, and it, uh, some of my uh, former colleagues while an industrial correspondent would shout at me about this, that there was an argument when there were lots of industrial correspondents that the coverage wasn't actually that much better because they just spent all their time uh, coming from mm. papers like the Mail or the Express uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, looking for reasons to have a go at the trade unions yeah. and uh, some riffs with the Labour Party, real or imagined, there's nothing that were genuine, but some were... were Imagined. Um, There's only
0: one thing worse than being spoken about badly,
2: and that's not being spoken about. Yeah, no, no, I I can, I can see that. I think the unions are pretty good now at at finding out whoever in their field. For instance, a lot of the health health unions, of Unis and RCN, will go through the health correspondent, health uh, health editor. um, The home affairs will do that. Education, I think that's what's happened. But that world, that general world of work. (laughs) I still think there is a value, uh, of just analysis on pay and hours and conditions and what it's really all about. And I always, I always think if I ever did anything myself, I would, but you know, I set up something of my own. I would set up something around the world of work, probably online now
1: <laughs> in, the, yeah, yeah. in a modern your own, world. Own, your own vlog. You'd, you'd,
2: you'd need <laughs> less money to, you know, to uh, to set it up, of course, than something published because it is it is underreported and it's yeah. it's under- it's under discussion. It's, it's in and truth.
0: And there's too little attention. What we're yeah. finding with our, with our Brexit work is, is there... I mean, we know that at the political level, there is just an mm-hmm. absence or a paralysis of policy, take it big. But actually, in practical terms, what unions are doing internally and in their industrial sectors yeah. is, just, is just way behind the curve. Mm. But we're seeing signs in, in aviation and in health and so on of, of what essentially is sector-level bargaining. Yeah. To, to deal to deal with the planning issues and resourcing issues of say Brexit, and that's a long overdue kind of renaissance that I think is starting. I
2: mean, most trade unions were against Brexit. There were, I mean, the RMT, for instance, uh, went off on their their own branch line. But most unions could see what would happen uh, in, in terms of jobs, uh, risk to uh, to employment legislation, the fact you want to work closely with your neighbours and your workers in other, in other countries. You see all that, and and also the you know, let's, let's let's be honest, the concerns about migration and uh, and some really nasty racism were, were, were drivers in the Brexit campaign, which was mainly on the right. You get a few useful idiots in Parliament, the in Labour Party here, but there's probably only about ten of them. The rest of them could see what happened, and then you had that uh, outpouring that. Uh, Dam of dreadful racist abuse that came after yeah. after Brexit. I tell you why Brexit's a bad bad idea. And most unions cottoned on to it, but it is just one of the great tragedies. Somehow, it wasn't done better and louder. And I thought Jeremy Corbyn, as a kind of Eurosceptic for remaining in, had the right position and that kind of view. If the referendum was going to be won, the Remain would be, be crucial. But yeah. I used to go to Jeremy yeah, Corbyn's speech, and I've got a lot of time uh, for him. But we, he he went and spoke at the Unison Conference just before the referendum, in the week of the referendum, and he devoted just a couple of sentences to the big issue confronting the country at that time. And the rest was his just well-rehearsed, well-trodden Union speech. Well, and it, you know, the, the referendum was lost because Cameron called it tactically and two-thirds of Tories voted against it, two-thirds of Labour voters were for it. Labour shouldn't get the blame, but Labour and the Labour movement could possibly have changed the course of history for the better by defeating I'm, I'm, really,
0: I'm really sure uh, that, that actually too many people in some very sensitive positions pay too much attention to opinion polls that turned out to be disastrously
2: wrong. Well, which gave a sense of complacency. Yeah, absolutely and I and I understand too in some of the some of the big general unions in particular that their members were their workers were split yeah yeah, yeah. That, uh, I understand true, that but yeah. but a unions unions are you know you're a general secretary you're, you're not just a secretary you're a general as well you've yeah. got to take a lead the same people on executives
0: absolutely absolutely yeah. oh <laughs> before before we we, we uh, we, we wrap up the conversation uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners will, will come across things will have things in their minds or will be involved in things at the moment or will something will happen to them tomorrow and they'll think that's a good story that would look that that, would, that would suit if people yeah. want to pitch ideas or stories to you what should they do alright
2: my email first which is kevin.maguire at mirror.co.uk that's m-a-g-u-i-r-e first name dot second name at mirror.co.uk send me an email and get straight to the point Keep it as factual as you can, uh, very tight. Sometimes what uh, appear local regional stories become national stories. Other times people suggest national stories which aren't because we've done something else like, uh, before. I can't, I can't promise everybody who comes to me I will pursue their, their story because there's a limit to, to how much you can, you can do. You might have done it before, they might have just not realised it, but keep it to the point. Tell, it, tell, it, you know, tell people what it is, what it means... In a way, just imagine you're down the pub or outside the school gates having a cup of tea with your mates. What would you say about about it? That's what you have to do. Don't get lost in jargon, just come straight to the point. And all the best communicators are just straight to the point. This is what it means. If it's pay, it's got uh, pounds and pence. If they're taking away your conditions, what does it mean? If they are increasing your hours, what do you do? How many will you do? So you have just tell it like that. Just don't say the bosses are... Bastards or whatever, you've got to see why they yeah. are. And I, I couldn't agree more. There's
0: lots and lots of really good stuff that we do, and especially if it's got a human angle. We were talking about Chris Proctor. Chris was having a dog's life dealing with raw mail uh, when I when I, I first met him. and. and his run of bad luck or lack of success as it were in negotiating came to an end when he got Royal Mail to replace shiny toilet paper with paper toilet paper in the, in the loo.
2: Hurrah! <laughs> 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 I'm
1: thinking well I'm, that's a real victory that, that is. is. It's, yeah it's, yeah. It, and it's,
0: sometimes it's the smallest things that have a human resonance.
2: So. They, they do. Yeah. I, I was uh, at the Labour Party conference with Frances O'Grady on a panel and she, she talked about organising a workplace and she said sometimes it is. She used the example of some workers dirty clothes instead of taking the dirty clothes so they managed to get them cleaned at work with a, you know, a big industrial cleaner uh, installed that meant a lot to them and yeah. unions do workers do win battles sometimes in cooperation with a, with a company they're not all bad uh, some are and those success stories can actually be good stories as well you know i say good you know, bad news, <laughs> is good news is good news, is good news, is not news. But, the, but the truth is i you know i overstate that and if, yeah. you, if you get a victory shout about it if you don't tell anybody they won't know for sure
0: Kevin, thanks for us so much Thank pleasure, you, having with us. Thank you. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. That, I mean, I, I've got to say, just listening to that again, um, I, I, Britain's got organising. I love it. <laughs> Strictly come yeah. this is the idea that's got to so catch he's on. Simon's just
1: got this view going. I've got half of the name, so you know, I'm ready <laughs> whenever you are, world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey. So, all right. So, what's uh, what have we got going on? What's on the Unions Twenty One slate, as it were, for, well, for the coming period?
1: Fanfare music, please. This is yes. Uh, save the date, people, for the 2018 Unions Twenty One conference entitled "The Future of Unions."
0: You've got to be there. For yeah. that one, definitely. Got to be there. And when is it?
1: Uh, it's 13th of April. And where is it? It's at the TC Congress House, Great Russell uh, Street, London. Tickets will be up on the website from uh, end of January. However, if your union is a supporter or you are an inv- individual supporter of Unions 21, you will gain access to the tickets first from the beginning of January. So you've got a whole month to get tickets. And they'll be for, cheaper. They will be cheaper. Uh, yes, so cheaper for supporters. Um, you, if you're a supporter, you get first access at the tickets themselves. And then for general release from the end of January. Early you, bird rate supply until probably about, about March time.
0: And, and, I mean, do save that date, listeners, because the last two years we've, we've kind of sold out, haven't we? We've, we've we, gone over capacity.
1: We have. We've had people standing in the back getting hot and bothered <laughs> that they can't get a seat, which obviously is great. And, you know, we're at Congress House this year, so it's a big venue to fill, so there should be spaces aplenty. But what I would say is that we're at 150 years the history Well, a bit over for the trade union movement, but the TUC is celebrating its 150th year. And we want this conference to really kickstart the debate around how we're going to handle the next 150 years. So it's there's going to be plenty of ideas there about what unions are doing now and what they can do in the future. There will be plenty of ideas on things like the future of trade union education. And there will be the launch of our paper, The Future of Unions.
0: But also, listeners, if, you're, if you've got a particular campaign that you're involved in, if you're working in an academic institution, academic background, and there's a research proposal you've, you've been working up, and you want to share that yeah. with, 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 with the audience, we're inviting applications for what they call posters. I mean, if you're an academic, you'll know what that means. But it's basically a display, a one-side kind of display of, of, of what you've been doing, why it's important, what the outputs are, and, and so on. And if you, you, by all means, send us your pitch. Uh, Because we see that as a a key part of what the the conference will be all about.
1: It needs to be something we've not done before, something we've not thought about before. Or even if we have done it before, something a bit different about it. And it needs to think about what does this mean for unions and how could other unions put this into practice. Absolutely. So all about the learning people.
0: And you can email those ideas or if you've got a query and want to find out a bit more about the spec, info at unions21.org. UK we look forward to hearing from you but conference is in April but before then we've got our Young Workers project haven't we very uh, appropriately given the Time to Shine stuff that you spoke about earlier
1: Yeah, no, so I Unions 21 has commissioned the Sheffield Political Economy Research Institute to undertake a piece of work on young professional workers and the economy so it kind of looks at young workers who kind of are in the higher skilled end but not exclusively um what they think of the world of work what they think about trade unions what they think about what unions do and how it works and we're doing that in conjunction with slater gordon part of that is uh, we need to test some of the ideas that the research has thrown out so i've just got this week the initial findings of the research from sperry which are really interesting i'm not going to tell oh, you go on. <laughs> Oh, spoil <laughs> sport. If you want to know, you need to come to the launch, people. But it's, it, I mean, I have to say, I feel like I've been around long enough again that some of these things just aren't rocket science, that, that instinctively you kind of feel that that's right. um But we need to test them, and we need to test them with young trade union activists. And what we're also doing is asking young trade union activists what it's like to be active in the movement right now and what they like about it, what they would change, what support they need and how they like to operate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested, go onto our website www.unions21.org.uk forward slash events and there you will find uh, a citizen assembly, we're calling them, where you can sign up, get your place and come and help us to forge this research. There will also be a survey out to uh, young members, young trade unionists um, in January as well, mm-hmm. which you can get involved in just by emailing over at youngworker at unions21 or tweeting us at unions21 on Twitter. Any which way, shape, or form, you can get hold of us.
0: No, that's great. I hope uh, hope lots of people will take up that that opportunity. I think that's a really exciting piece of research. Practically based as well
1: yes and there is no the way i see it is there is absolutely no point in us doing any of this if unions can't look at it and think about how it helps them to operate more effectively well, that's
0: kind of what we're all about <laughs> that's what we're all
1: about luckily
0: <laughs> <laughs> well listeners thank you ever so much for for your company during this podcast really hope you've, you've enjoyed it we'd love to get your feedback uh what you thought about this or any of the podcasts ideas for future broadcasts you can email us at info at unions21.org.uk uh, or tweet us at unions21 Uh, we'd love to hear your views we want you very much to be part of the discussion we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next podcast but until then it's me Simon Sapper
1: me Becky Wright
0: saying thanks ever so much for listening and goodbye bye podcast was presented by Becky Wright and Simon Sapper. It was a makes you think production.